This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have one of the HITS partners, Jeff Barrett, with me. I've got Jeff on here today uh, so we can talk a little bit about uh, working a patrol dog in a tactical environment alongside a robot. Jeff's had a few experiences where they've used robots uh, in a tactical environment, so kind of a probably unique skill set. I don't know how many people have got to do that or will have to do that, but just something to talk about and maybe uh, put in the tool bag. So um, a lot of departments, even if your SWAT team doesn't have a robot, the uh, bomb squad will have a robot. So, uh, you know, think about that, that maybe uh, after you listen to the show, if it's something you want to do, reach out to whatever regional bomb squad you have and maybe talk to them and find out if you could do some work with their robot as well. So how are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. And for those who don't know, Jeff retired at the beginning of the year, so he's uh, part of the retired crew. So are you enjoying retirement so far? <laughs> retirement is very nice. I highly recommend it to everybody, I'll tell you that. Even, even though the virus is probably keeping you inside, but at least you're not dealing with the stress of it. Yeah, not much has changed for me, really. I just hang around the house, do my hit stuff, and backtrack stuff, and live life. So, you know, isolation, self yeah, uh, isolation's pretty normal, really. <laughs> I don't have to go to work, yeah. have to deal with people, and wear a mask every day. So, yeah, it's pretty oh. nice. Hopefully, Perfect time to retire. Yeah, hopefully uh, things go back to normal and you really get out and be be more active in retirement. So, so let's talk about robots. What was your experience and uh, you know kind of set up set up how you ended up doing something with a robot? Well, you know, cameras and robots have uh, really become mainstream uh, with police work these days, and you just almost take it for granted that the dogs will be fine around them. But you'll find some dogs that are a little leery about being around them they want to avoid them and if you're trying to get a dog to search in an area where you've already got the robot and they want to avoid it then you start to realize that hey maybe this is something we need to train on the last place you want to realize that is of course in a a real deployment and we've actually had that and uh, you'll notice the dogs in tighter uh, spaces not want to get close to the robot if they're not used to it but it's really just a matter of acclimation and uh, you can do that pretty gradually. Most dogs will accept it, especially if they're, uh, you know, in drive with bite work and stuff. It won't be nearly as complicated and uh, time-consuming as you might think to get the dogs to, sure. to work around these robots. But uh, just the introduction is pretty simple. You know, you can do some group obedience and just downstays and let the robots run around near them. Between the guys that are working the dogs in the line of obedience and stuff, and uh, we've actually taught the dogs to search by robot just in directional sense that you can send a robot in a direction and the dog will follow that in expectation that there'll be something positive that happens downrange when he gets to wherever the robot's at. So, but it does take a few repetitions sure. to to get started. So. It's uh, something that you don't want to have a failure in your first time out. So let me, let me just back up a little bit. I I assume obviously your tactical team must use robots quite a bit. So that's how you ended up. Yeah. Even when we didn't have our own robots, 
Um, we were borrowing those from uh, fire agencies, bomb squads and stuff. The uh, state fire marshals had them. The bigger, bulkier ones, they would always come out and do their thing. And then um, it was kind of a, a separate process where they would use the robot to do their deal, get uh-huh. done. And it wasn't very integrated with, uh, you know, the SWAT team or the yeah. dogs themselves. So uh, as we started to buy the dogs, we started to work the, the teams together with SWAT team, dog, and robot. So so, so how does that how does that look? You're gonna say you have a barricade and entries being made at the house. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of different ways about having the dog clear. You know, just the the first part and get a foothold or put the the robot in or you know. So, um, not the training side of it, but a finished product. How does that look when you when everything's all coming together? How would you guys integrate the two on a real deal? Well, once the dog's been acclimated to actually using the robot. Robot can just hold a position, even if you're in a position inside, because you know it's not necessarily and always going to be a a structure that's um, free and clear of debris to where the robot can search everything. But there'll be times when you can take advantage of pairing those two together. So, you know, if the dog's uh, able to search an area and you're able to watch it with the camera on the robot and not put people in there. You may see the indication, realize where you're at in the house, and note that for officer safety. Sure. So those, that's really how those two will work perfect together is that you may get an alert, you may hear an alert, but with the robot, you'll be able to see what the dog's actually doing. Even if the dog, robot couldn't get over there and perhaps open a door, pull a cabinet door sure. open, move something around – you'll be still be able to see it with the cameras on the robot. So that's the advantage that you have. Really the ultimate goal is officer safety. Absolutely. So we're not going to put people in first. We're going to put gas in. We're going to put the robots in. Then we're going to use the dog and the combination of the two. So the robot, mostly you're using just the video capabilities just to kind of get your eyes in a little deeper where, where traditionally before robots, we'd have to move in as a team and then work the dog 10 feet, 20 feet in front of us. But now, as the way you're describing it, you can you can substitute the team to some extent, at least at the beginning, to put the robot in. Yeah, in general speaking, generally speaking, in general terms, that's exactly how it would work. Is that you know you're using the camera capabilities to scan the area, see if the dog's going to get an alert, and then really you just narrow the scope of the search for the team once they get there. They then you the team realizes where the dog's alerting, sure. where they can. Uh, focus more attention so that's the advantage of it but if you've got a you know tight space uh, sometimes those dogs don't want to penetrate past and go beyond where the robot is they'll avoid that so it can be a little more difficult uh, with the with the dog uh, if the dog's a leery yeah of working around that robot so that's the the main goal is to get the dog um, comfortable with that robot being around, moving around. So that might, so in, in a, in an operational environment, again, maybe you've got the, the robot, you could send the robot all the way. A lot of the robots will do stairs pretty well. So maybe you've got the robot down a flight of stairs and then the dog is uh, indicating on a, a uh, laundry room door in the basement. So now you've, you've, you've taken a whole lot of ground from your suspect and then you can decide if you want to gas just that room or advance or do whatever. So um, it, seems like a, a real good way to use the two together. 
That's exactly right. And sometimes you can even have options with, with the robot. There's uh, different attachments that they can place explosives on there to breach doors, uh, even just to open a door. So, you know, you can pull the dog back, call about, call the dog back, then use the robot to either breach the door or just open it in some yeah. fashion and, uh, you know, move further in with the robot and the dog so you can redeploy the dog once that door is open. And did your agency, did you have your own robot or did you always end up kind of borrowing and working with other teams? No, we have several robots uh, with our agency now. So they're a main main part of um, the deployment for the SWAT team. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. That's good. And, and really the, the cameras are the main focus. Yeah. So, you know, we've had robot deployments where we'd send the dog right in behind the robot and you actually get to see the, the apprehension and the search work while the dog's in the room with the robot and the suspect. Perfect. So you know exactly what's going on. So but you got to have the dog that's comfortable with it. Yeah, so let's go back to the training part of it. So obviously doing a lot of neutral behavior, you know, with the robot driving around and stuff would be probably the very easiest first step. And then you'd mentioned a few other things about getting a dog to, to start following the robot. And I think that'd be really interesting to hear how you were able to get, get those things going. Yeah. You know, in the best case scenario, it's a, an actual positive for the dog once they realize that that robot is in play, that good things can happen. And yeah. when I say good things, it's always something positive, usually with some criminal apprehension work, some uh, decoy work, that's, that sort of thing is motivational for the dog. So what we'll do is um, do a little bite work, roll a uh, robot in while he's on the bodysuit, and just bump the dog a little bit, bump the decoy, have the decoy go to to the ground, run the robot just as close to the dog. You know, a lot sure. of times they'll just try to jump around to get the robot out from under their feet. Yeah. But they'll always stay on the bite. Yeah. And uh, just get them comfortable with it. Yeah. And then once they realize that it's not going to be something that's a negative, it's going to be a positive, they start to relax about it. If they're alerting to a door, you know, we'll do a building search. Just run the d- robot over there by the door where they're alerting. And if they, if you see, obviously, that the dog's wanting to avoid it and back away from the door, then you just move the robot away. But uh, the more comfortable the dog gets with it, the longer you can leave the robot close to that door, the more intrusive you can be with the robot at that door. And they learn that there's nothing negative going to happen. You know, they bark, door opens, an aggressive decoy is there. He makes the apprehension. Again, robot starts to bump and move around. And just through a series of repetition with that, they can become comfortable with it. So it's not a big deal to them. So probably before too long, you could probably pretty easily lead the dog down into a, a far part of the house to get them to, to search a room maybe they missed or something. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. Once we get them comfortable with just the plain basics there, send them down a long hallway, but the robot's already down there. And just have it in front of the door where the suspect's hiding. They're going to sniff around that. If they're comfortable with it, bump the robot a little bit, make it move. If they're still comfortable with it, it just advances. So yeah. Eventually, what we can do is we can actually teach the dog to search. We can do it in open areas as well. So uh, if you've got a light robot that you can put in a backpack or it's mountable for a pack on the on one of the operator's backs to, to go on a track, you see a indication that, there's somebody up ahead, you can throw the robot down, send it to that area, do a quick scan, pull it back, continue with your track. 
or you could just teach the dog to search that area. So if you wanted to teach the dog to search by robot in the outside field or in a building even, you could start pushing that robot directly toward the decoy, sending the dog to it, and through repetition, the dog will learn that wherever that robot goes, something positive sure. is down there probably make that apprehension. just takes repetition. Yeah, and that's something that I really haven't heard of people doing before. So I like that idea a lot, just to be able to, to pair yeah. the two together. So I like that a lot. It's a similar thought with searching by laser. You know, sure. the dog sees the, the laser, makes the connection that there's something positive in that direction, so they'll go to it. You're just sending the, the robot down. Now you get some weirdo dogs that'll want to chase the robot and bite the robot. I've seen that happen. Those are those break. are called Malinois. They're very yeah. common. <laughs> my favorite you've breed. Break that bad <laughs> yeah, and then you've got some of those uh, throw cameras that are little balls that they can run around. If you start throwing those, they'll want to chase those. Sure. But we gotta, you know, break those bad habits. And make sure that they they're not fixated on the wrong piece of equipment there. No, I think it seems like a, a really good tool to use. Did you have any at the beginning of it? I imagine there was probably a couple of lessons learned. Anything that jumps out at you that if somebody's getting ready to start doing this in the next couple of months to, you know, that you remember a bad thing that happened that you could maybe keep them from doing the same mistake. Yeah. We've, we've had an incident where one of the dogs wasn't quite sure about the robot and he had never worked with them. And during an actual deployment with the SWAT team, the dog wouldn't go past the robot search. Sure. they realized pretty quickly that there was a need for extra training. And those are the biggest uh, and the most common uh, yeah. problems that you run into is avoidance. Yeah. So even during like the obedience, if your dog is in the down, you'll see some of them just say, I'm out of here. I want to get up and try and leave because of the robot. And those are the dogs that you'll just have to work longer on, be more patient with, um, slower, yeah. and, you know, getting the dog used to it at a, further distance away from him, being positive with it, rewarding the dog with a toy or something, doing some obedience around the, the robot while it's still not moving, putting the dog down next yeah. to the robot while it's not moving. So there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, for that. And I'm sure that's like, like anything else where, you know, some of the, the baddest ass dogs are the ones who probably get a little apprehensive about that. It's not, not anything about a good dog or bad dog. It's kind of just an indiv- individual thing. Some dogs just don't, don't re- uh, react as calmly to that. Yeah, you know, it's not just the robot that you'll find um, the ones that just have little scary things in their brains that freak them out where others are quite comfortable, like there's no big deal. Yeah. You know, so yeah. once you find those, those are the ones that you really have to train with and yeah. have patience with. Yeah. But obviously the key is do this before you do it in a, a real deal because – there's always something in a real deal that's gonna you're gonna have to work through anyway. So don't don't go out and try this first time on a on a barricade if you haven't practiced it several times with your dog and made the dog. Yeah, because most of the time in our minds we think, hey, this is no big deal. We can do this. Yeah. But in reality, you know, the pressure of the real life deployment can often cause us problems. So we want to make sure we try to expose the dog to all these environments and all these situations long before we ever get there. You know, what we practice with and train on may never play out exactly the way we trained it, but at least we'll have a a better idea of uh, what the dog's going to do and, uh, 
what we'll see out of the dog's performance before we even get there. If we try to expose them as much as we can. I guess just to wrap that up, like I said, if, uh, if your agency doesn't have a robot, there's a robot in your area. I work a lot with all the bomb squads and uh, I don't know a bomb squad that doesn't have one. So uh, regionally uh, there's a bomb squad somewhere near your agency that you could probably talk to and find out if they have a robot, if you're a smaller agency or if you're a large agency that, you know, your, your tactical team doesn't have one, which is kind of unusual now, uh, talk to your bomb squad or your tactical team. But uh, I think it's a, I think, I think some of the ideas you're throwing out here, Jeff, are really good. Some, some things I hadn't really thought about um, when I left uh, patrol canine, uh, we weren't really using the robots much now. I know their team now is quite a bit. So uh, just funny how quickly technology changes. It's only been a couple of years since I worked at patrol dog and things have changed dramatically already. Yep. Now you got the drones flying around the same with them. You know, we've got some that's small enough that they can fly into a house and uh, navigate through the hallways and around into the rooms and stuff. They're, they're just that small these days. So, yeah. Have you, you know, if you're, have you tried putting a dog around those too? Uh, I haven't. We I don't know that they did before I retired in January, but um, you know it's something to consider because Absolutely. obviously the the ceilings in most houses are low enough, and the the little drone would be flying low enough that these dogs could jump up and grab it if they had a, a yeah. line to do so. So and the, the noise is different, some, so yeah, to expose them to. But yes. that just like the the uh, robot, I could see that being a real powerful tool. If you could pair the two together, yeah, yeah. If you got enough space, it's large enough uh, structure to fly a drone around in. It's a great advantage yeah. to the team to have that visual, and then you use the dog to to search with as well. So, but uh, you know, it'd be no different. Remember, years ago, I think we did a class in the Chicago area where we put the uh, deer head out and the distractor for the dogs as they were doing the running bite. You could do the same with robots, move them around, have them uh, have the dog have to go past or over top of the robot just to make the apprehension. You could even do that in small, tight quarters as well. Yeah. That was, uh, we got a few minutes. I think that'd be a fun kind of class to talk about when we did that. What we, I think we called yeah. it a, a stress inoculation or something like that. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So it wasn't, it wasn't a tactical class. It was just a, uh, come up with all the most uh, bizarre scenarios we could possibly come up with and then throw them at dog teams only to make the dog teams better, not to have any of the dog teams fail, uh, teach decoys how to help a dog work through something and then teach the dogs how to, how to solve a puzzle. So um, we did the, we did a, a deer mounted head, uh, uh, deer head that we put on an office chair, rolled that down a hallway when the dog came around. That was the, uh, I remember one dog. One dog bit it. One dog ran from it, and most of them just kind of walked by it. That's how I remember it. That's one of my favorites is to put that in the tight quarters to where they have to go around it. And yeah, in a in an office chair that has wheels on it, so you can use a little string to pull it a little. And as soon as it moves, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, "I'm not going that way," and so you have to give them a little more stimulus to get past it. And I'll tell you why I like doing those kind of things with uh, patrol dogs is I was just talking to a friend of mine and um, they they had a, a dog that has some street apprehensions and it had to go down into a yard and around the the garden where the suspect was was just a, a like a little two and a half foot tall 
fence with a little string above it. Nothing super weird, and this dog can jump a six-foot fence and will. But for whatever reason, that little plastic fence and the string above it was enough that the dog just couldn't figure out how to get over that stupid little thing. So they put some light on on where the suspect, you could kind of see in the bush kind of where they believe the suspect was. The dog was working the outside of that that, uh, stringed area, but he said he had to bring the dog back down him then give him an, uh, like a hup command to get him to you know kind of motivate him to jump over and end up making an apprehension where you know we would all think a dog would just magically jump over that which most probably many would but i think when you start doing some of that stress inoculation it does transfer over you know we did, we had one uh, scenario when we were out there in chicago that the dogs had to go over a what was it about 100 uh milk milk uh milk bottles that, that we had strung together and they had to walk over all of them and jump over them to make an apprehension. When you get a dog used to doing those kind of things, uh, little things that they come across, even though they're completely different, I think it starts helping the dog understand, you know, just move forward and, and still make an apprehension. Oh, I completely agree. Even though you never see, you know, a, a situation on the street where you'd have to run through a uh, hundred milk jugs that were tied together before you could get to uh, the bite the apprehension still just builds the dog's yep. confidence that no matter what's in front of him, he can still traverse it, still get into that apprehension. And usually without much hesitation, once they've seen enough of this stuff, just the, the simple stuff, the yeah. leaf blowers, you know, the yeah. sound and the strong wind coming out of it. Some kind of times can be a deterrent. I've seen chainsaws with the chain taken off of it. So it's a loud noise with the exhaust coming out, waving it in front of the dogs. Those things are definitely, you know, the the problem with some of the dogs wanting to go in. So they hesitate. And uh, as you play it out two or three times, less and less hesitation until there's really not any. Even uh, even though each scenario is different. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it it changes. If you're listening to this and you're trying to think of something easy to do, uh, most everybody listening to this is driving around in a police car. And the back of your police car, you got a, a... roll a crime scene tape back there get that crime scene tape out and make about four foot strips of it a bunch of those make two big like pom-poms out of your crime scene tape simply uh in a bite suit have a dog come around a a corner and shake that crime scene tape in like a big pom-pom fashion in front of you see how many dogs will work straight through that or how many will kind of stop read what's going on some won't some won't advance through it so that's as a decoy that's where you're going to end up kind of slowing down a little bit and helping the dog you know, we're not trying to chase a dog out in an alley. We're just trying to, or a hallway. We're just trying to show them, you know, work through it. So it takes a good decoy to read the dog and and help. But that's a real, real simple one. I've done that many, many times over the years. And I've had some dogs that were truly badass street dogs that did not want to come through that simple plastic pom-pom at first just because in their whole life they had never seen that. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of them just on the straight apprehensions where they have to run, say, 15, 20 yards, they've got straight line of sight. They're less likely to hesitate. But if they have to run down so they see the decoy, you know, 15 yards away, and then he ducks behind a, a corner of a building or something, when he has to turn that corner, slow down, put his brain just a, a little bit less of a, a wide open gear, then that usually is enough to, to startle them once they turn that corner. Um, not all of them, probably not even most of them, but 
once they slow down to have to think for a second and uh, reacquire the target, then they're presented with that, oh, what is this type of scenario? And uh, that's when you'll start to see the confusion or the hesitation. Uh, of course, we always want them to win, so we never defeat them and uh, completely run them off. If we see them start to back out and give up. We you know, pull that to the side, whatever the distraction is, allow them to get that bite and uh, reapply it if we can. If we still got it in our hands, whatever we can work just to calm him down, showing that there's no big deal here. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, if you're a trainer and you're setting this up, you're training the dog, the decoy and the handler all at once to, to kind of let the, let the decoy see, uh, help the dog, let the handler understand not to panic that, you know, you can work through something, even if you got to call the dog back and get him refocused and send him back into it. It'd be fine. So. Yeah, we did one. Um, I think you were in Orlando with us when we did the same thing in the, in the uh, big shower where there's about uh-huh. eight shower heads, yeah. turn all the shower heads on, force the dog in through and uh, just do muzzle work or bite work in there. So I've stripped down to my underwear and got in the shower and, you know, made the dogs come in. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more traumatizing probably for the handler to have to see me down to my underwear. But that's, uh, the, the dogs will definitely hesitate too. That's truly a badass dog that'll go in for that. So yeah, yep. that could be part of my next selection test, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on, Jeff. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you were able to squeeze me in in your busy retirement life. But uh, yeah. This is some good information. The the two tie in together. Obviously, uh, you know, if you're if you're going to do some robot stuff, if you've already done a lot of this, uh, these unusual apprehensions, uh, get a little stress built into the dog and teach them how to work through those those puzzles. Then the robot's just one more of them. And if dog's already done a lot of these weird apprehensions, the robot probably won't mean anything at all to him. It'll just be one more goofy little thing you're throwing at him that he knows is going to lead him to something more fun. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, Jeff. And we will uh, talk to you soon. If you guys want some more information about HITS, HITSK9.net is the site. And then my email is jeff at HITSK9.net and Jeff Barrett is jeff.barrett at HITSK9.net. I'll put all this in the show notes. If you have some uh, more scenarios that you've done that are good, send me an email because I'd like to put together uh, maybe a compilation of several different uh, scenarios that that you've come across to, to to do and maybe we'll put, do another show talking about really good fun goofy scenarios to run your dog through so with that uh, jeff thanks and everybody out there uh, please be safe if you're looking to make an investment in your canine career come the hits 2020 there's no substitute for the real thing whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2020 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2020 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffle gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there and we've been there too.